Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariya on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu Alhamdulillah It's really nice to see our uh, Wednesday night family growing Alhamdulillah it's a really really good uh, you know, always a good sign to see more and more people coming to the house of Allah Alhamdulillah in the middle of their week despite all the fog outside, which looks quite terrifying. <laughs> but alhamdulillah, it's good to see that the masjid is full in the middle of the week on a Wednesday. Uh, I first and foremost apologize. My voice is a little bit uh, less, uh, less charismatic than normal. My daughter has been sick this past week, so please keep her in your du'as. First time getting sick, obviously, and so you know, a dad who is uh, frequent in using the suction you know, utensil. It's only a matter of time before I also have a little bit of something. But alhamdulillah, Allah Ta'ala has uh, always been the most merciful. So alhamdulillah for everyone's health and family. Uh, so inshallah, we are going to uh, continue on with our series. For those of you who are new, welcome. Alhamdulillah, there's always uh, should be a welcoming nature to the masjid. I find it very problematic when uh, people who are new to the masjid don't feel at home. They feel foreign. Uh, there's obviously like a cliquish culture in a lot of places and we want to make sure that we are not a part of that. Uh, so alhamdulillah for whoever is new here. We're really happy that you're here. Welcome, welcome. You know, this is a place where everyone should feel at home. Uh, and alhamdulillah, you know, we are more than happy to have any newcomers. Uh, this is a great, great sign for our community that people feel welcome in coming to places like this. Alhamdulillah. So we're beginning with ayah number 69 to just refresh everyone's minds. Ayah number 69, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions in Surah Yusuf, the section in which uh, the brothers of Yusuf alayhi salam, they bring back Benjamin, uh, who is the younger sibling of Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam. And that was his request in order for them to receive their full measure of grain that they had asked for. So if they wanted full measure of grain, uh, you know, essentially what we said last week was a camel's load, right? That each person who would come to the Aziz, the treasurer of the state at that time, they would receive a camel's load worth of grain and food to take back to their families. And so one of the things that Yusuf alayhi salam, he inquired his siblings about was their family dynamic, right? How many of them are you? And they said that there are 11 of them and one was eaten by or one was lost or misplaced a long time ago. 
And so Yusuf السلام, obviously confirming from his questioning that this indeed is his own family, he requests his brothers to bring his younger brother back with them. And so they go back to Ya'qub and they request their prophet father to allow them to bring Benjamin with them the next time they go and you know, seek measure from the king and the Aziz. And so they bring Benjamin back with them uh, as Yusuf had requested. Now keep in mind at this point, we already understood in ayat previous that Yusuf knew them, but they had no idea who he was. So there's still this suspense in this narrative that is continuing to build that Yusuf very well knows who they are, very well knows what they have done, but they still remain alien to what they did a long time ago to him. And so when they bring Benjamin, uh, Yusuf he brings him to the side uh, and Allah Ta'ala, he mentions, وَلَمَّا دَخَلُوا عَلَى يُوسُفَ وَإِلَيْهِ أَخُوهُ قَالَ إِنِّي أَنَا أَخُوكَ فَلَا تَبْتَعِسْ بِمَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ And so he pulls his younger brother to the side. Essentially, the, the Qur'an says in the nature of privacy. So he doesn't say publicly to him. He says it in privacy to him. He pulls him to the side and he says, لَا تَبْتَعِسْ Which basically in Arabic means, uh, Do not worry, do not grieve, do not have anxiety. بِمَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ Over what they did to me before. So he's basically saying to Benjamin, Hey listen, I'm Yusuf, right? The one that was lost all those years ago. It's me, okay? Uh, and Benjamin, I want everyone to remember in this context, Benjamin has not seen Yusuf in over 30, 40 years, the scholars they mentioned. So imagine him seeing his older brother for the first time who the other brothers have mentioned that he was lost or misplaced or he was killed or eaten by a wolf, etc., etc. And now all of a sudden, this brother who was long gone in your mind, in your memory, is now standing in front of you and telling you, La tabtais. Don't be afraid, right? And the beauty of that is, you know, and we discussed this last week, that Yusuf knew that if he were to disclose to his brother his identity, there would be an overwhelming force of emotion that would come out of him. So the first thing that he told him, La tabtais. Do not become overwhelmed with grief or anxiety or worry. And this is something that is a tradition in the history of Anbiya, is that whenever a person is met with a serious moment of grief or emotion, it is the duty of a Muslim to actually soothe the heart of that person and not bring more anxiety to it. And this is the tradition even of Sayyidina Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. When the Prophet وسلم, he came running down from Jabal al-Nur, from Ghar-Hira, he came down and he said to his wife the famous words, Zammiluni, Zammiluni, Dathiruni, Dathiruni. He said, cover me up, cover me up, conceal me, conceal me. Right? And Sayyidina Khadija radiallahu anha did not go on a line of questioning of guilt like a lot of people unfortunately would. Why were you up there in the first place? What were you doing? Didn't I tell you not to go up there? This is what would happen to you if you, I, I told you, I knew it would happen if you went up there. But she, radiallahu anha, she says to her beloved husband, she says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not forsake you. You are good to your family. You are responsible. You are kind to those who have less than you. You stay with those who are disenfranchised, who are marginalized by the community. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're good to your neighbor. This is the way of, 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 of the awliya. 
the people who are close to Allah, is that when a person is going through some emotion, you, tend, you, you are supposed to calm the heart down, not raise the blood pressure, unfortunately, right? And so he says this to his brother, okay? In verse number 70, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he continues. Now, the, the, the theme of today is going to be very interesting. Because in today's session, we're going to cover a very interesting action that Yusuf alayhi salam, he undertakes with his brothers. Because if this is studied out of context, a lot of people will have questions as to, well, why would Yusuf alayhi salam do something so, um, and I've heard this before, by the way, uh, so, so uh, conniving even, some people say, Billah. They say, oh, why would he do something like this? So sneaky. Right, so clever. Why would he do this? And this is the reason why reading this through with somebody who has, you know, alhamdulillah, studied or studies is such a really important, you know, uh, aspect of looking at Quran. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in verse number seventy, He says, him. He says, so when he gave them, he furnished them with their provisions. So when Yusuf alayhi salam, he provided them with their provisions, okay? Jahazahum bi jahazihim. This is a very interesting kind of Arabic, right? And this is along the same lines of anybody's familiar with the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu where he says, ta'am. In Arabic, a lot of the verbs and the nouns are actually very similar, okay? So when the Prophet says, ta'am, he means feed people food. So what jahazahum bi jahazihim, it means provide somebody with their provisions, Okay, so basically what Allah is saying that Yusuf alayhi salam had fulfilled his promise as to what he told his brothers. That if you bring Benjamin, I will give you another camel's load worth of grain and food to take back to your family. So Yusuf alayhi salam, he provides them with his promise. Now the next thing that he does is quite interesting. What does he do next? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, جَعَلَ السِّقَايَ fi rahli akhihi. Allah says that He put a siqaya fi rahli. He put the bowl or the goblet, the cup of the king, inside rahli akhihi, inside the bag of his brother. Okay? So, kind of an interesting action here for people who are kind of reading this for the first time. Why would Yusuf do such a thing? He took the king's cup, the king's goblet, and he put it fi rahli akhi, inside of the bag of his brother that, 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 that he just disclosed his identity to. Okay. Thumma adhana mu'adhinun. And when a mu'adhin saw this, by the way, the word mu'adhin, obviously we're familiar with adhan mu'adhin, is the word that means linguistically someone who calls something. And this is why we call the adhan, the, one, the, the, the call, right? And we, we, in, in Islam, when something is so great, there's no further necessary description, right? So when you say adhan, it is the call, al-adhan, right? As-sira. When someone says sira, by the way, the word sira literally means like the path, right? The way that's traveled. When somebody says sira, it is notorious with siratun nabawiyah. The seed of the Prophet There's no further explanation necessary. Okay? So the word adhan is synonymous with the adhan that was called for salah. But linguistically, it means to call something. To call something. To call anything. So this man, the mu'adhin, adhana mu'adhinun, 
when he heard, when he saw this happening, he saw Yusuf alayhi salam, he put this cup or this goblet inside al-rahli akhihi. He put it inside the bag of his brother. This caller called out. This is very beautiful, by the way. This verse has a lot of nuance, right? It's an Arabic student's dream to study this ayah. There's so much you know, beauty of language used in this one singular verse. So he sees that Yusuf puts this cup in his brother's bag. Now, what is this cup? There's a lot of differences of opinion on what this cup was. Some of the scholars, they mentioned that it was a silver cup or a silver bowl that was put inside of Benjamin's bag. Some scholars, they actually say that it was a golden cup or a golden bowl. Nonetheless, <coughs> the meaning is that it's a very valuable item. Okay, it's a very valuable item. In fact, Ad-Dahak uh, uh, and Ibn Abbas, عن, he says that the king used this siqaya uh, to drink from himself. Meaning it was like a personal item. Right? It wasn't just a random item that was laying around in the kingdom. It was his own personal siqaya. His own personal glass that he used to drink from. Now, I don't know how many people in here have very uh, possessive items at home. You know, imagine an item that is very, very personal to you. It is your glass and only you drink from it. It is your car and only you drive it. It is your shirt and only you wear it. So imagine the kind of, you know, personal attachment that a person has to certain items. This is why, by the way, you know, not to go on a tangent here, but the ulama they say, if there's any sort of attachment to the dunya, it is best for that person to part ways with it. Why? Because it proves that that person is not necessarily tied to dunya. Right? So if a person has this serious level, of, serious level of attachment, they say to get rid of it. Just see what it feels like to get rid of something so personal to you. Okay? So this is the personal siqaya of the king, siqaya al-maliki. Okay? And at this point, Ibn Abbas, he also mentions that the king's bowl was made from silver that he used to drink with himself. And Yusuf had placed this cup or this bowl inside of Benjamin's bag while the other brothers were unaware. Okay, So when this caller, he saw this, he says, He says, Oh you, the caravan. Oh you, the caravan. Oh, the caravan, Al-Iru, the caravan that just came to take this food. Innakum la sariqun, you're thieves. These are thieves. These are people who have stolen. Now, there's a very interesting opinion here. There's two opinions, by the way, when it comes to this ayah. The one opinion is that this mu'adhin, he didn't see Yusuf alayhi salam do this. Okay? He didn't see Yusuf alayhi salam do this. So he sincerely thought that when he, he, they were searching the bags, that he found the goblet of the king. And so he was surprised by it. Okay? He was surprised by it. And so when he was surprised by it, he obviously called out, you know, Ya innakum that you're indeed, you're thieves, you're stolen from this kingdom. The second opinion, and this is also a very popular opinion, by the way, is that this person, this mu'adhin, was actually in on it with Prophet Yusuf So Prophet Yusuf made sure that this mu'adhin, he saw him put the cup in the bag, and so Yusuf gave him a signal of some sort to call out. Okay, so these are the two opinions. Now, when he calls out, innakum lasariqun, indeed you're thieves, the brothers, they're taken aback. Because they had no idea. 
They didn't see any of this happening. They get taken aback. Qalu, okay, they say, Qalu wa aqbalu alayhim. And they turn to him and they say, Mada tafqidun. They look, they look around and they look at him and they say, what, what did you lose? What have you misplaced? I don't know what you're talking about. <coughs> and the mu'adhin, he calls out to them, he says, قَالُوا أَنَفْقِدُوا سُوَاعَ الْمَلِكِ He says to them, he says, we have lost the bowl or the cup of the king, the goblet of the king. Which, by the way, Ibn, uh, Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, he says, was not only the personal goblet of the king, but something that they were also at that time using to measure the grain to give to people. See, it was a functional item. It wasn't just kind of like a memoir of the medic. It was a functional item. And he says that whoever, the mu'adhin, he says, وَلِمَنْ جَاءَ بِهِ حِمْلُ بَعِيرٍ وَأَنَا بِهِ زَعِيمٍ He says, and whoever produces it, whoever, whoever confesses their guilt for it, they will be given حِمْلٌ بَعِيرٍ حِمْلُ بَعِيرٍ they'll be given another camel's load. Meaning that we'll give them another measure of food if they come clean and tell us who did this, who committed this crime. And he says, وَأَنَا بِهِ زَعِيمٌ He goes, Zaim means like bound by something. Like I promise I'll give you another measure of food if you come clean. This is like a way, that's like a tactic that is used to basically convince somebody to kind of admit or, uh, or, or, or confess a crime. Right? If you confess this crime, then I'm going to give you, you know, a thousand dollars. Whoever finds this person, I'll give them five thousand dollars. Whatever it may be, this is basically the nature of what was just said. And so, after, you know, this muaddin accused the brothers of Yusuf of this theft, the brothers they now they speak out because now they defend their honor. And this is again very beautiful thick point right here. It's not as though these brothers were accused and Yusuf said, yep, they're guilty, let's take them in. What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows here is for them to, to do what? Defend themselves. Speak, say something. This is, a common, this is a common right of a person. That if you're accused of something, you have the right to actually speak your mind. Speak your truth. What is your side? There's always two sides to every story. Okay? So they say, They say, by Allah, Tallahi. Okay? They're, they're swearing upon Allah. You know that we have not come here to make any sort of fasad fil ard. Nufsida fil ard. Like we're not here to basically cause trouble. We didn't come here to basically stir the pot and to make something hard for you. We came here sincerely. You don't you know that we didn't come here for any alternative motive. And you know that we're no thieves. We're not here to steal from you. 
We're not here to rob you. We're not here to mess around with you. We're here for a sincere purpose. Our family's going through a famine. We need some food. Why, what, what purpose is there for us to come and to steal from you even after you verified who our family is? You know our younger brother. You apparently know our father, right? You've given us our measure of food. You've given us extra. You even were so honorable that you gave us our measure, like our deposit. Remember we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. You even returned our deposit for us. So why would we have any sort of intention or any reason to rob you? And so they're speaking their, their mind at this point. This is good, by the way. This is very interesting. They're speaking their, 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 their honest truth. And so Yusuf is very clever, by the way. He's very clever. The prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are very clever people. They're not these like, you know, uh, you know when uh, this is a common trait and a tradition of like our communities nowadays where like a person who is known to be religious they're obviously religious because they're filling the void of not being intellectually capable elsewhere. And this is unfortunately a reality, right? I mean, look, I, have, I don't have to describe it to you any further. Who are the hujur sabs overseas? The uneducated people. They're teaching Quran, why? Because they couldn't do the math properly. They're teaching hadith, why? Because they couldn't do science properly. There's this kind of stereotype that people who are religious are people who are void of any sort of other intellect. And when you read and understand the deen more and more and you realize the people who are actually the, 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 the pious people are very, very Ahlul Uqud. They're people of high intellect. You know, Imam Al-Ghazali rahimahullah was a very high intellectual. Imam Al-Shafi'i was a high thinker. Imam Abu Hanifa was a high thinker. Imam Malik was a high thinker. These were not just very, very casual people. These were people of Uqud. They were smart people. And so Yusuf he sees all of this going on in front of him. And he says to his brothers, he goes, okay. He goes, فَمَا جَزَاؤُهُ He goes, what do you think? What do you think should be the punishment? Okay. إِن كُنْتُمْ كَاذِبِينَ What do you think the punishment should be if... If, if, if the person who is caught is truly lying, what do you think it should be? You know, this is a very interesting, by the way, I don't know if anybody here is, uh, you know, uh, people who are interested in psychology, but they say in psychology that when you test a person's conscience, they say a clear conscience actually feels no sort of like guilt in making like a very, very strict and harsh penalty. So if like somebody is innocent of a crime, and you say to them, well, what do you think you should do with the guilty party? And if they say, oh, we should go very hard on them and make sure that there's, you know, they're, they're, they realize the reality of their crimes and we should make them known for what they've done and all these different things, you know this person's not guilty. But when you ask a person, well, what do you think we should do with this person if they're caught? And they say, oh, well, I think we should take it easy on them, I said. You know, they might have had a hard day. You know, I don't know. Like maybe that is more of a sign that maybe they know a little bit more than they say they do. And so Yusuf he says, What do you think we should do with this person if they're actually lying? What should we do? And the brothers, they speak, they, they respond. They say, جَزَاءَهُ مَنْ وُجِدَ فِي رَحْلِهِ 
فَهُوَ جَزَاؤُهُ كَذَلِكَ نَجْزِ الظَّالِمِينَ They say something very interesting. They say his penalty should be that he in whose bag is, it's found in should be held for punishment. Held for punishment. Okay? He should be punished. He should be punished to whatever we're used to. So Ibn Kathir rahimahullah says that they actually decided, Yusuf allowed them to decide the punishment for the guilty party. Yusuf allowed them to decide the punishment for the guilty party. Okay? So whoever is caught with this goblet in their bag, he says that they should be punished in a manner that is befitting of their crime. Okay? So, كَذَلِكَ الظَّالِمِينَ That thus we punish the wrongdoers. This is how we punish people who do crimes. And Ibn Kathir actually says that the custom of that time, that was customary at that time of the brothers, they were from an area called Kana'an, right? Their custom was that whoever was the thief would end up becoming the slave of the victim of the theft. Understand? So the thief, the punishment of the thief is that the thief would become the servant or the slave of the victim of the theft. Whoever is guilty would become the slave of the one he stole from. Okay? And the brothers, they agreed to this. They agreed to this. They say, of course, this is the, this is the befitting of the crime. And so Yusuf salam, he tells his men to start searching their bags. Search the bags. Okay. فَبَدَأَ بِأَوْعِيَتِهِمْ قَبْلَ So Yusuf began the search in their bags before the bag of Benjamin. And you know why he did this, by the way? And this is profound mercy from the, the Prophet of Allah. He could have made their lives miserable. Think about it, everybody. Think about how much pain these people caused him. Think about how much resentment he has in his heart for these people. But he tells his men to search them first before searching Benjamin's bag because the other people who are witnessing all of this, they think that these brothers are the guilty party. But in his mercy, Yusuf salam's mercy, he says, search them first so their guilt is actually cleared. Because the purpose of all of this is not to punish these brothers. The purpose of all of this, as we know and will address, is to actually keep Benjamin back. That's the intention. Not to make their lives miserable, but to actually hold Benjamin back. Because if Benjamin was free to go, then he would just return back with them. But we need to find a way to keep Benjamin back. And so they cleared the, the innocence, they cleared the guilt of the brothers. Okay. And then he brought it out of his brother's bag. All of a sudden, the search, in, the search committee, <coughs> they look in the bag of Benjamin and they pull out, Aha, Siqay al-Malik. The cup of the malik. And Allah Ta'ala says, كَذَلِكَ كِدْنَا لِيُوسُفَ كَذَلِكَ كِدْنَا لِيُوسُفَ Thus did we plan for Yusuf alayhi salam. Kidna. 
This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking. So before anyone says, oh, why would Yusuf do such a thing? What did we just find out here? Kidna. This is the plan of who? Allah. This is not Yusuf. And this is a very fundamental aqidah point that everyone needs to know. That the plans of the prophets of Allah were by and large, when it came to Qur'anic moments like this, it was the plan of Allah through His Anbiya. Not their own, not their own himma. Think about the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ. His own himma or Amrullah. The order of Allah, it was order of Allah. Think about these major moments. Badr, Uhud, Hudaybiyah. When the Prophet ﷺ decided to get up and travel back to Mecca to perform Umrah. Was this his own himma? No, it was Allah. These are moments in which Allah tells His Anbiya to do these things. Because Allah, Makrullah, right? This is the plan of Allah. It's greater than all other plans. And so at this point, Allah says, مَا كَانَ لِيَأْخُذَ أَخَاهُ فِي دِينِ الْمَلِكِ So he could not take his brother by the law of the king. It's proven evidence right here. That by the law of Egypt, he could not actually retain his brother. It's not allowed. Legally, it's not allowed in Egypt to just take his brother back. The law is, if there is a law that is agreed upon by the two parties, then we honor that law here. But we cannot just randomly detain people because we want to. Do you see the wisdom here? If the, if the ayah just said, Yusuf saw his brother Benjamin. He knew Benjamin was being, you know, treated wrongly over in his home. And Benjamin, he wanted to disclose his identity, and he kept Benjamin because he wished to. Why? No reason. I'm Yusuf. I do whatever I want to. Think about how problematic the story would be. You see, this is where, you know, when human beings they question things, they question the hikmah of Allah. They soon realize if it were done their way, it would be very flawed. It would be very flawed. And this is the, the, this is the arrogance, the kibr of mankind, where we think that when we read something, oh, well, I think it could have been done this way. And then you find out whichever way you would go back and redo it and try to do it this way, this way, that way, this way, you'd ultimately find out that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's plan was actually perfect. And you were the one that was very flawed. You thought you could have done it better, but your plan was completely flawed. So Yusuf couldn't just detain him for no reason. He had to make a pact with the brothers and they set the rule. They said, whoever's guilty, we honor the rule that they be detained as a servant of the one he stole from. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَا كَانَ لِيَأْخُذَ أَخَاهُ فِي دِينِ الْمَلِكِ إِلَّا أَنْ يَشَاءَ اللَّهُ and he could not take his brother by the law of the king, illa an yasha Allah, except that which Allah willed for him. So Allah gave use of this brilliant plan. And so Allah says, min and we raise to degrees whom we will. Wa 
Okay, but overall, all those endowed with knowledge is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are mesmerized by how this story is going? Know that this is Allah's, this is Allah's knowledge, this is Allah's ilm. And there's so much benefit of this, by the way, everybody. So much benefit. We think that like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. this could have been sped up. This process could have been better. I'll give you a very easy evidence. Look at the prohibition of alcohol. Look at the prohibition of alcohol in the ummah of the, of the Prophet ﷺ. How many stages were there? Four. There were four stages of the prohibition of khamr in the ummah of the Prophet ﷺ. Why wasn't it all just one, one order? Why didn't it all just happen at one time? Us sitting here 1400 years later can say, well, if Allah says that it's haram, then it's haram. There's no problem. Sami'na wa ata'ana, right? No. Aisha radiallahu anha, she says in a very beautiful statement, she says, if the prohibition, if the, if, if, if the, if the nahu of khamr, if the negation of khamr came right then and there all at one time, it would have been almost impossible for people to keep up with it. It would have been impossible for these people to abide by it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His wisdom, he does it in four steps. The first step is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْخَمْرِ وَالْمَيْسِرِ قُلْ فِيهِمَا إِثْمٌ كَبِيرٌ That tell the people, they ask you the Prophet about khamr and maysir and gambling. Tell them that this is a great evil. وَمَنَافِعُ لِلنَّاسِ وَإِثْمُهُمَا أَكْبَرُ And tell them that there is benefit in it, but the evil outweighs the benefit. So in the beginning, the first order came down about khamr. It wasn't illegal. Allah told people that there's good in it, but the evil outweighs the good. The second was, O oh believers, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, la taqrabu salata wa antum sukara. Don't come to the salah intoxicated. The second stage was, it was permissible, but you cannot pray while you're intoxicated. Sukara. The third was, O oh believers, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, innamal khamru wal maysiru wal ansabu wal azlamu rijsun min amr shaytan. That this was highly discouraged. Highly discouraged. That drinking and gambling and drawing lots, azlam, drawing lots of, for, you know, betting. These are rijsun min amr shaytan. They are the evil of the work of shaytan. So, فَاجْتَنِبُوا لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ If you want to be successful, فَاجْتَنِبُوا Shun them, get away from them. And then finally in Surah Al-Ma'idah, the last one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says that this is shaitan's plan to stir up hostility and hatred between you with intoxication and gambling and to prevent you from remembering Allah in your salah. فَهَلْ أَنْتُمْ مُنْتَهُونَ Will you not abstain from it? This is where it became haram. There's so much wisdom behind every one of these stages. So when it comes to the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this regard, we understand why He did it the way He did it. That there's a process that we follow. 
And in Arabic, we call this tartib. There's a process that we follow when it comes to the order of, of, of Allah. And it comes to every stage of our life. Whether it comes to da'wah, whether it comes to salah, whether it comes to siyam, whether it comes to zakah, whether it comes to sadaqah, whether it comes to anything in our lives, we must obey the tartib. We must obey the process. We have to. A person cannot jump to the pillars of iman before they actually establish the pillars of Islam. A person has to establish that first. Bunya al-Islam ala khams. You have to abide by the five pillars of Islam before you do anything else. A person cannot understand the deep intricacies of comparative fiqh until they understand their own aqidah. It's not befitting of a Muslim to do this. A person cannot say, well, I pray all of my sunan. I pray my two rak'ah before fajr. I pray my four or two before dhuhr and then two after, then four or two before asr, and then two after maghrib, and then four or two before isha, and then two after isha. But they're missing their faraid. This is not befitting of a Muslim. So understanding the process here is very, very important. Okay? And so, and this final portion, we will address ayah number 77, and then inshallah we will stop. In ayah number 77, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He discloses again the reason why the brothers of Yusuf were very troubled people. You know, there's something, you know, I, I want to share with everybody here that I, want, I actually wrote down in my notes that I made sure that I wouldn't forget. Is, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this is actually proven in a lot of classical works of scholars, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes gives people lifelong challenges in terms of their character. You know, some people are destined to struggle with anger. Some people are destined to struggle with certain, you know, desires. Some people are destined to struggle with, you know, kathib, lying. Some people are destined to struggle with, you know, uh, 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 you know short temper, all these different things. And it is up to you and I to figure out the best form of remedying our personal vices. And these are the characteristics of people. You cannot always turn them around, you know, 180 degrees for every single person. And this is why, you know, in, in the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, there were two concepts that were very beautiful. One in the seerah was called imala, and one was called izala. Izala in the Prophet ﷺ, is basically extracting this person's character and completely making them a new person. But the ulama over and over and over again in Sirah said that was never the method of the Prophet. ﷺ. The method of the Prophet ﷺ was always imala, which means to take that person's personality and turn it in a way that will actually be virtuous. And I'll give you a very easy example to follow here. Everyone in here has heard of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, after he accepted Islam, did not become a whole different person in his personality. I hope everyone knows this. 
He was the same Umar ibn Khattab as before in terms of his personality. What was different? Hidayah. Islam. His personality remained the same. He now just had a way of controlling it. This is what imala is. Is that it helps you with the hidayah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to redirect your personality into something that is good. So if you're a person who is talkative, talkative nature can be good and it can be bad. A person who talks too much without hidayah, it can be very dangerous for that person. But a person who speaks very well with the guidance of Allah can use that trait to do very good things. This verse right here is what happens unfortunately when a person has this characteristic but they never work on it. They never work on it. And so in ayah number 77, the brothers, when they find that Benjamin was the one who had the cup, a siqaya, in his bag, they say, قَالُوا إِنْ يَسْرِقْ فَقَدْ سَرَقَ أَخُلَّهُ مِنْ قَبْلُ They say, if he steals, if he has stolen, know that there was a brother before him that was also used to stealing. So they're just adding. Subhanallah. You see what happens when like diseases of the heart are not taken out? You think to yourself, oh, you know, this person was jealous when they were kids. Oh, they're 50 years old now. It's different. That jealousy was when they were immature and saghir and all these different things. If diseases of the heart are not addressed, they will fester and develop even in adulthood. What was the point of these people saying this about Yusuf now? In their knowledge, Yusuf is gone. Yusuf is gone. Yusuf is long gone. But they say out of the hatred that they still had for him, they say if this brother is truly a thief, قَالُوا إِنْ يَسْرِقْ فَقَدْ سَرَقَ أَخُلَّهُ مِنْ قَبْلِ to know that there was a brother that he had a long time ago that was also a thief. Can you imagine? What was the point of bringing this up? It's a lie first and foremost. But what was, he, what was the point of even talking about Yusuf at this point? It proves that they still had this disease in their heart that still they did not work on. And the lesson for all of us sitting here right now, including myself, is that if there is something that we are struggling with, don't just assume that it will just go away with time. Oh, I was angry at this person four years ago. Ah, time has gone by, now I'm okay. No, 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 no. Don't just assume that. What did you do to remedy it? You felt jealous of this person two years ago, and now all of a sudden you think that this is something that's bygone? No, 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 no. In Islam, there are steps to remedying diseases that plague the heart. Don't just think that, oh, time has gone by and I'm good. You know, it's, it's funny. People who we argued with five years ago, we see them five years later, and you can tell on this person's face that they're still not over it. There's still a problem. We have to do the work to get over these things. 
Imam Zurnuji, rahimahullah, is a very, very famous scholar who wrote a book called Ta'lim Muta'allim. He wrote a book a long time ago called The, uh, the, the, the Ta'lim of the Student of Knowledge. And he says that nothing, nothing, both externally and internally can replace hard work. Spirituality takes hard work. You want to be a good Muslim? Do things that are hard for you to do. Do things that are hard for you to do. A person goes to the gym and they exercise, they max out on a certain weight, their next step is naturally to go a weight further. Because if you stay at the same rate, you're not going to get any stronger. As a Muslim, I keep on playing my own fiddle. I'm not going to get any better as a Muslim. I have to do things that are hard for me to do. This is the huge lesson here. And inshallah, we will conclude with that. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us for any of our shortcomings and our mistakes. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow every letter of the Qur'an to be heavy on our scale of good deeds on the Day of Judgment. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us for all of our shortcomings and our sins. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to be people of the Qur'an, people who are frequent in the recitation of the Qur'an, and people who the Qur'an is weighed heavily in our hearts through our actions, our deeds, and our intentions. Amin Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik wa nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu alayk.